If I didn't have leads, I don't think that I would have made it a year and a half in the business. I'm not the person that I want to ask anybody I know if they want to buy and sell a house. So for me, just getting that experience and I think taking away the imposter syndrome, taking away the anxiety of just, we have a really steady lead flow. And my goal for every lead week is let me take one or two people that I have a really good connection with. And so it's sales. It's the rule of numbers where the more outbats you get, the more chances you have to be successful. Welcome to the Real Better Life podcast, where people that are writing stories worth telling share their knowledge, wisdom, and perspective to help you go further faster as you move to your better life. Over to your hosts, Dave Ness and Rob Alkema. Welcome back to the Real Better Life podcast. Today is episode 13, and we get the privilege of hearing from one of our very own within Thrive Real Estate Group, the one and only Brittany Brennan. And uh, just a little background on Brittany before we jump into the content of today's episode. She started with us a little over two years ago, had no background in applicable sales experience or real estate. She was actually an account coordinator for a uh, temp placement organization that connects physicians with healthcare organizations and hospitals all across the US. She moved to Denver about a year and a half before launching her real estate career. And today we get to hear a little bit about what's helped her have some of the success that she's experienced so far. In her first year, she did 16 transactions, which is a phenomenal first year for anyone who's new to real estate. She grew that in year two and um, in just over two years has already done 38 total transactions. And we're going to hear a little bit about how she scaled up so quickly, some of the challenges, as well as some of the highlights of her first couple of years in real estate and how their career has evolved, what she's learned, and what she's most excited about moving forward. So with no further ado, let's get into today's episode. Brittany Brennan, welcome to the Better Life Podcast Studio. Glad to have you. Thanks for having me. <laughs> right on. Awesome to be here with you guys. Yeah, we're, we're yeah, pretty pumped about you. this. It's going to be a fun interview. So we'll have some fun. We'll dive in. Tell us really quick, just a couple minutes. What was your life and journey? What did it look like going from healthcare staffing over into real estate? Because that that has some commonalities, but it also has a lot of differences, particularly coming from a, a W-2, which tends to have a little bit more security and predictability and continuity, mm-hmm. and then stepping into real estate, which is eat what you kill and mm-hmm. 1099 and pretty highly entrepreneurial. And so but there's a lot of people on the listening right now that are probably either thinking about getting into real estate, which they're probably in a W-2 type of position, most are, or they just did. And they're wondering, what the hell did I just do? <laughs> Mm-hmm. That, that's what we want to dive into today and maybe normalize some of that experience so that listeners pick up on some of the struggles and frictions that you went through as well. Yeah, absolutely. So I started my career out of college in private healthcare at a cancer hospital. And then from there, I moved into the sales and staffing side. And so I spent about four years in an account management role. Okay. And we staffed locum physicians, so primarily hospitalists, ICU doctors, and they were all locums. And so they have travel assignments where they're on certain contracts. And my job was to help get more physicians in certain hospitals, get them more shifts, ultimately to help make more revenue for us. And I was doing that. And then COVID hit, like so many people, where COVID was just a pause in life and you have to figure out which way do you want to go. And 
all of my friends were either furloughed, waiting for work to come in, in this weird situation. And I was working 60 plus hour weeks trying to staff these hospitals and run full hospitalist schedules and field units. And it was a lot of insanity. You know, I'd always been interested in real estate just on a personal level. Hmm. I didn't want to make the jump leaving, you know, a steady paycheck, but I was in a position where I was just really unhappy in my current role. Hmm. And I couldn't really see a lot of like longevity and light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, I was actually on a family vacation and I had been talking about this with my boyfriend that it was something that I wanted to do. And I really just needed that like push to get me over the edge. And so we were sitting in a beach condo in Florida. Yeah. And he said to my parents, hey, guess what? Brittany's getting her real estate license and she's about to quit her job. <laughs> and, <laughs> and the next thing you hear is just bourbon pouring into a glass. Yeah. Okay, another glass of wine, please. <laughs> um, yeah, so that was wild, but it's something that, you know, I've always like known that if I put in the hard work and put my head and my heart into something, then, yeah. you know, it's going to be successful. Worst case scenario, it's not successful and I can figure out what plan B and C is at yeah. that point. You know, one thing you said in that whole intro was, if I caught that right, you were working 60 hours a week. Yes. That's not the typical approach to what I've seen anyway in many salary-based jobs. Mm -hmm. I'm guessing that was way above and beyond any expectation. Yes, absolutely. So I was supporting recruiters and sales managers that their job was to find the jobs for the doctors, then find the doctors for the jobs. And then I come in and I put all the pieces together. Yeah. And so, you know, on the front end, the recruiters and the salespeople are, just to be frank, making a lot of money off the yeah. shifts and the things that I'm doing on the back end. Yeah. And so for me, it was a salary job with nothing else to continue to kind of push and yeah. grow and drive more business. And so, yeah, I mean, at that point, I was like, wow, you know, I'm doing a lot for somebody else to make a lot of money. There's real estate where I can figure out, can I do this? Will I be good at this? And yeah. just go for it. You know, what's interesting with that is there's a concept that I can't remember where I heard it, but it's super powerful. And it's the concept of you should do the job that you want, not the job that you currently have. You guys heard that? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, and I don't know where I heard it, but it, it's awesome. And you were doing that. I don't know if you even realize it, but you were doing the job that you want. Maybe it wasn't the subject matter that you wanted. Mm -hmm. But what I'm hearing you say is I was already putting in the effort, the grind, the grit, the perseverance, the stick-to-itiveness. And yeah, sure, it was in a salaried kind of W-2 steady paycheck job, but your heart and your intention, your whole being, in a way, was already doing something very entrepreneurial within a non-entrepreneurial environment. Mm -hmm. And so that's an important piece, I think, to this puzzle. I just wanted to name and call out mm -hmm. for even the listeners. Because if you're listening to that and going, yeah, that's how I do my job too. That's another rung of confidence on the ladder to make the leap going from a steady paycheck mm -hmm. to not. Mm -hmm. That's a pretty big piece of the puzzle. And cheers to you <laughs> for doing the job that you wanted and not the one that you had. Yeah. I mean, I can think back on those times and they were tough because obviously we're in Denver. My office was in Atlanta. So I started, I worked on Eastern hours. So oh, right. I'd be logging into my computer at six. Mm -hmm. And then as your normal workday flows, it's four o'clock and I already put in 10 hours, but then 
there's still they're still going <laughs> and yeah. The, yeah and there's still so much work to do so easily those days would become 12 hour days yeah and in covid so everybody's at home i'm still in my pajamas and it's 6 p.m mm-hmm. and i was at a point where i'm like i just i can't live like this like <laughs> whenever i showered whenever i like <laughs> you know <laughs> right taking a moment for myself and yeah so at that point it was definitely a turning point to where i just i knew i needed to do something different yeah that's huge as we talk about the turning point, you said you were unhappy. And then you said, I just couldn't see longevity and I couldn't see light at the end of the tunnel. Mm-hmm. And so I know one of the things that we wanted to talk about is it's always crazy how somebody makes the decision to make the leap into a new field like real estate, because there is some risk involved with that, mm-hmm. right? Like not only is it new, but it's full commission and you're not getting your first commission check until you close the deal, which right. even as good as we are at helping somebody ramp up quickly, that's usually like two and a half to three and a half months before somebody gets that first closing Mm -hmm. check. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, Dave said this before people don't normally change until the pain of staying the same is greater than the pain of changing. Mm -hmm. And so what exactly was it that you wanted to change? And when you talk about longevity and you talk about being able to see light at the end of the tunnel, Mm -hmm. what were the things you were looking for that would give you that longevity in a career? Man, that's, I mean, it's a great question, and there's so many different ways that I can answer this, but I'm, you know. Like, this, this, I can't do this in 30 minutes. I'll go get you some dirt. We're going we're to need a couple of hours. You know, for me, too, I am from Atlanta originally, moved out to Denver February 2020, and so right before everything shut down, and I was working remote, and it, working remote was always fine for me. I mean, I enjoyed it. I felt like I had to work harder than I even did in the office because not a lot of people worked remote at that time. Mm, And so I felt like I always had to be proving myself that I was available, accessible, working harder than I was even in the office. And so during those weeks of 60 plus hours, I felt like I hadn't really even gotten a chance to get a feel of Denver, get out and enjoy Colorado. So moving into real estate, it seems like a pretty cool way to have a very, very deep immersion in what is Denver, what are the neighborhoods, hmm. and learn quickly and kind of uh, learn on the fly a little bit. And so I think longevity speaking, I just wanted to do something where, you know, I felt like I was going to be going to be happy, going to be able to meet new people, connect with new people. And then really, like when I started, I had no idea what the outcome would be. And that be here like on my third year and things are going great. And so there's just so much unknown, but very, very happy that I made that jump. Yeah. It sounds like a piece yeah. of it was not to take away from that moment. That was a good moment. <laughs> but it seems like a piece of it was what one thing that was lacking, correct me if I'm wrong, but was the idea of community. Mm-hmm. 100%. Like, like not the general community of Denver, but like literally relationship face to face, human beings kind of mm-hmm. yeah, shaking yeah. hands and hugging and laughing. and Yeah. Even just getting to know people that were outside of our like duplex mm-hmm. that we lived in. Cause those are the people we quarantined with. Right. That was all we knew for a little while. And it was, I knew that Denver had so much more to offer. And so yeah, just let's jump in and see what happens. That's so good. It's funny. We talk about fast stacking your database at thrive for you. It's like, no, I'm going to fast stack my social life. Scale the hell out of my social life. Well, and let's face it. Even if you jump into um, like kickball league, Mm-hmm. pops into my head but because like, that's genius because that's, that's a big thing yeah mm-hmm. yeah if you're in denver and you're in your late 20s 30s you're probably in a kickball league with a beer in your hand yeah one or two nights a week yeah 
But it's funny because you'll meet some amazing people that way. Mm -hmm. But the chances of, you know, on a nine person kickball team, all eight of them being people that are like you, driven, above and beyond, outgoing, growth minded, Mm -hmm. right? Like Mm -hmm. giving their best to what they do for work and always seeking to get better. Like the chances of that aren't very high. And so it's not even just building a local community, but it's building a community of like, these are the kind of people I want to surround myself with. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think every new place you run into those challenges. And luckily, Denver, I feel like overall is a pretty welcoming place. And Mm -hmm. it is pretty easy to find your way and to find people that are similar and enjoy the same things. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. We experienced that moving from Atlanta, same dynamic. You guys want to dive into just your first year? Yeah, I was thinking that, like, just what's the quick version of why did you end up at Thrive versus all the other places you could have ended up, right? Because you were looking at other places. Mm -hmm. It wasn't just like this one place. Mm -hmm. Why did you end up at Thrive? And then, yeah, talk about the highlights and the challenges Mm -hmm. of your first year. And what was that like getting ramped up? And what was your first year, just for the listeners, like the dates? Yes. Rough dates. May 2021 is when I first got my license. I think I officially started with Thrive beginning of July. So now we're into year three. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, it goes by so fast. No doubt. (laughs) I don't remember Thrive without you. (laughs) Well. And I don't want it. (laughs) <laughs> so that's really cool so you know it's a great place to start just what was the well one of my questions to lop on to what rob just asked to tee you up a little bit here if you could go back and do less of something in your first year mm-hmm. and more of something kind of the same context of the questions that rob asked but less and more friction points mm-hmm. mindset yeah in that first year yeah absolutely so why i joined thrive i did interview with a couple other brokerages and my background out of college is I worked for a private cancer hospital, very, very heavy into culture. The next company I worked for also very, very heavy into culture. So I was used to being in these corporate environments where there was a lot of like camaraderie, a lot of buy-in, a lot of like more intense interview processes where it's we really want to make sure we're finding the right person. Right. And a lot of other brokerage that I spoke with. A couple people offered me a position over the phone without mm-hmm. even wanting to sit down and talk about long-term goals and anything like that. Mm-hmm. A couple other interviews where we were talking more about like the drama that the person interviewing me was going through than like the brokerage itself. And so, I mean, it was just... It was a ther- <laughs> therapy session. Right. So I mean, then. I'm a good listener. So I guess they just said, all right, I'm going to lay it all out there. <laughs> and so, you know, my first call with Rob, I was driving at the time. And I'm like, yeah, sure, I'll take this call because I'm sure it'll just be a this, that, and the <laughs> other type of interview. The questions I just was like taken aback where it's, wow, okay, let me actually do a little bit of self-reflection and see really what are areas where I think I'm strong at, where are my weaknesses, you know, all of those things and, and how did I get there and just how like past experiences, like I told you in high school, I was played lacrosse in like my senior year, I sat the bench the entire year and I went to my parents and I was like, you know, I really just want to quit. I'm like, why am I doing this? Why am I still here? And my dad, I think, told me that he had the same position of sitting the bench when he played football 40 years ago. Mm. He was like, you just have to stick it out. And you made a commitment. You have to stick with it. And That said a lot about you that, A, you didn't quit. But then, mm-hmm. B, 
if I'm remembering correctly, we talked about how once you decided like, all right, I'm going to stick this out. It was, well, even if I'm on the bench, I can still contribute by being the best teammate Mm -hmm. that I can be. And I was like, I don't know you that well yet, but I want you on our team. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Because those are the kind of qualities that we look for. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. And I'm stubborn and I don't like to knock in my way at the end of the day. And so, yeah, it was definitely one of those experiences where I'm like, all right, just got to work through the pain and suffering during this time and get through it. And so I'm happy I did it. And now 20 years later, I'm still thinking about that. (laughs) So So then what I did decide to join Thrive, obviously, lead flow was a big thing for me Mm -hmm. since I had only lived in Denver for a little over a year Mm -hmm. and only knew maybe two dozen people within the city. Yep. And so that was the big thing that attracted me to the group. And another thing was just having this like senior leadership that has over 20 years of experience in the business Mm -hmm. and people that are willing to take all of their experience and really uh, bring it down to a training course. That was like three weeks that I felt like I had years of experience just from a very, very short period of time. And when you think back to that first year for the people that are just getting started or have already started or thinking about getting started. If you could rewind clock and go, I would have done more Mm -hmm. of this Mm -hmm. and I would have done less of that. And it could be practical, tactical. It could also be mental. Mm -hmm. I know a lot of times we just get in our minds, we just spin in our heads. So what would you, if you could go back, what would you more of and less of? I would say I would have, so I, took on a lot of leads very, very quickly Mm. to the point where it felt like I was just running nonstop. And so when you first start out, I was honestly like the best way to learn of just a crash course in moving very, very quickly, having to organize your day, your thoughts, your processes. And so I think looking back, I would have just liked to have a couple more systems in place within me internally. Mm -hmm. And that's something that I still struggle with because I'm like, well, I know that I have to do this, this and this, but... I think just having the repetitiveness of having a structure to my day yeah. is where one thing that I always think about where I do a little better. But do you think that's rooted in just that entrepreneurial, like, I'm not going to look in the pool, I'm just going to jump. And then you take on a bunch of leads, which of course is a great way to get started. Lots of reps, lots of people, lots of conversations. We like to say we bend time at Thrive because you you have the amount of conversations in one month that usually a typical real estate agent launching into their career might take a year mm-hmm. to have just the conversations. But there's an underbelly to that, what you're saying, is that, yeah, that can look really compelling and cool, but underneath, it can get to be way too much for you mentally, psychologically, and emotionally. Mm-hmm. And then also... It doesn't necessarily set up a great environment. In fact, it does not set up a great environment to serve those people well mm-hmm. and to actually like be slower and methodical and realize this is a marathon. You know, mm-hmm. you get there, it's going to be great. Is the cause of that kind of that entrepreneurial like, yep, yeah, let's go. Let's yeah, do this. honestly, yeah. yep. It's and I think a lot of it too is you have to figure out how am I going to take everything that I've learned and make it my own and make it feel genuine and make it come from an authentic place. And so in the beginning, a lot of that, I was still trying to figure out how do I want to handle a new buyer and trying to prove my value, trying to establish that relationship very quickly versus like now in the market, I think I have all of that down where it's just comes second nature. But yeah, that's a really compelling concept that I just wrote it down, the authenticity which can't be taught. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's It comes with time. It comes with knowledge. A lot of times knowledge 
of houses, knowledge of the contract process, knowledge of the technology, all that Mm -hmm. can increase authenticity because you're no longer having to think about how you're interacting with somebody. It just kind of flows naturally. Mm -hmm. But that piece can't be taught. Instead, it's you return to authenticity. You were already an authentic, genuine person. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, you wouldn't have been hired and you probably wouldn't have been attracted to our culture either. So that was already there. But do you feel like, am I saying that right? That you you almost have to get away from, you don't have to, but most people go through a transition where they're figuring out how to show up mm-hmm. authentically, genuinely, and wholly themselves. Mm-hmm. And sometimes there's a gap there because your mind is so focused on the scripts or the technology or the process or the legal or mm-hmm. what I can and can't say. and mm-hmm. Or just the questions that a buyer may throw at you. Yeah. About like, anything. No you, right, exactly. <laughs> and so it's... Yeah, it's about like, obviously coming in and being confident. And for me, it's always knowing as much as I can. But a lot of times you don't gain that until you have the experience and you have the stories and you've seen these challenges front hand of water leaks at a final walkthrough and like just anything and everything. And so I think in the beginning, a lot of it is doing everything that you can up front, but there's just a lot to learn. Yeah, And so... I think that's with every job too. And so a lot of times you don't want to be too hard on yourself Mm -hmm. because it's, you're in a new industry, you're in a new environment, you're figuring things out. Yep. So my first year, I think I had like so much anxiety about everything for the first six, seven, eight transactions. Mm -hmm. Wasn't like one and done. I feel confident moving into the next one. It was definitely over time. And so I would say those first six months was how do I do this? What's going to come back on this inspection? What kind of obstacles are we going to see? It's interesting. I was just going to ask you, how long did it take till you started to feel like you turned that corner and went, oh, I'm actually pretty good at this, Mm -hmm. right? Because there's a period of time at the beginning for everyone where you're pretty sure you're not good at it. You have a little bit of imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. You're praying to God they didn't go on Zillow and look at how many transactions you've done because (laughs) you don't want to have to tackle that attraction. So it must be a tech glitch. (laughs) (laughs) So was it about six to eight transactions? For me, it was about six to eight. And that came as of December 2021. Okay. Yes. What were some of the highlights from that first year? So many of those the relationships and like just the like gratitude I have for people that did trust me at that period of time. Yeah. That was definitely a highlight. And then my Dave McElfresh helped walk me through you know, so many of those transactions too. Mm-hmm. And so that's definitely a huge just thank you to him for all of that. Yeah. The support piece, like you mentioned the word anxiety. Anytime I hear that, for some reason, it's super palpable where I'm like, oh man. That's a very powerful word. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it's extremely descriptive of what everyone probably thinks and feels in their first six transactions. <laughs> Quick side note, I was doing a training yesterday and I was reflecting back to my very first closing and I had no idea, none, how I would get paid. It was a uh, deal done in escrow, which means, you know, you don't get paid at the table. It's later. Mm-hmm. And I walked out going... I think this whole thing was a scam. <laughs> I don't know. Like, there's no money. And then I had to like figure it out later that, you know, this is how it works. Better. So, it's a very, very anxiety driven moment. Like, oh my God, did I just do all that for nothing? Like, right. what the hell? Yeah. The mic drop moment for me is when you said the authenticity piece, because when authenticity shows up, mm-hmm. there's no anxiety in that. Mm-hmm. Those two things can't coexist. When you're fully yourself, genuine and authentic and very grounded, 
you said six to eight transactions. I'm assuming a lot of that anxiety, maybe not all of it, but a lot of it probably went down. Yes. Reduced. Yes. Which then probably made you even show up even more authentically. Mm-hmm. And the funny thing is, human beings are wired in such a way that people want to do business with authentic, genuine people. That's the truth. So that's a mic drop moment for sure for the listeners. Would you say then that the game for new people stepping into real estate Mm -hmm. is to return, as it were, to authenticity and your authentic self as quickly as possible? Yes, absolutely. Which inherent in that is you're going to go through a phase where it doesn't feel authentic. Like it's Absolutely. I mean, like what Rob said too, like imposter syndrome, I think is something that a lot of people deal with just because you are new in something and it's okay to be new, but also you have clients that are making the largest transaction of their life. And so you need to get to a point where you're developing skill set and experience. And sometimes that's shared stories from colleagues that you can borrow in the short term until you have. And then those just, you just, you see so much with different clients. And so in every situation, there's always like a perfect intro moment to then tell that story. Yeah. And that happens authentically over time. Yep. And so I feel like I'm now at a point where those things just like they write themselves into what I'm going to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. It gets woven in automatically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. When you started shifting from first year to second year, Mm -hmm. you kind of go from call it third gear to fourth, fifth gear Mm -hmm. when you're cruising. Um, What was that like? And what do you think the main differences or the main things that you were able to change to get to a point of? You're not really thinking anymore about, oh my God, when's my next clothing? Mm-hmm. I mean, we're all thinking that at some point, you know? mm-hmm. <laughs> of course, because there's no salaries or anything like that. But that question starts to come down and you start to get the confidence of the deals will come if I just do the work. Right. Like They're just a byproduct. It's just a derivative of what I'm doing. And now I can trust that. Right. Think back. Is there like any nuggets that helped you make that transition where you were no longer thinking about personal finances at the same level? Mm-hmm. I think of it where, you know, in the beginning, you know, obviously people want a strategy. They want a perfect time to buy or sell their house. Right. And in the beginning, you don't really know how can I walk somebody through these strategies because mm-hmm. I haven't really seen enough. Yeah. And so I think by year two, I felt like I had good handle on the market, a good handle on when is the best time to for this particular person in this particular situation. Mm-hmm. And so I think for me, just being able to put in some of those strategies for people is one of the biggest changes. As our market has shifted a little bit, it's less of a hamster wheel, go, go, go as fast as you can. And now we have to be a little bit more strategic in a maze to get to the end. It is very much a maze right now. Yes, it is. Interest rates and mm -hmm. everything that's happening and changing. Exactly. It's a big deal. Yeah. Got it. How is your two different from your one? A lot of it, I think, is... For me personally, coming into Denver, not really knowing the neighborhoods, finally by year two, I was like, okay, wow, here I go. And, uh, <laughs> I know the neighborhoods. <laughs> I know. Yes, exactly. I have a little bit more context to share with everybody. Yeah. So that just obviously comes with experience. Right. So it was more of a crash course, but now I feel like I'm proficient in it. So I think just getting to know the processes, going through those experiences. Year two, I actually, I think I had... Um, I was telling Heather, one of our colleagues this morning, that I think I had seven or eight transactions terminate Mm. in year two. Mm -hmm. And 
most of those buyers didn't end up finding the right home. So that was a lot of business that was lost that I really thought was going to come to fruition. Mm -hmm. So that was a huge challenge to overcome. And so you get, you know, mentally too. Mentally. Yep. Yep. You get slapped around a little bit and you have to figure out, is it me? (laughs) Is it the market? Is it the process? (laughs) Because I'm guessing you didn't have that many in year one. No, no, no. Year one, I think I maybe had one, but they ended up finding the right home for them. You know, it always happens the way that it should. Mm -hmm. But year two just had some really crazy scenarios that you couldn't have predicted. For the listeners too, the hard part about, if this is a nugget for anybody, the hard part about terminations, obviously the hardest part is there's no closing mm-hmm. unless they end up buying something else later, mm-hmm. which many do. But the hard part mentally, I think, is that you don't get that time back. Right. So all the time, and that's very good. Switch back to the W2 1099 conversation. Mm-hmm. You don't really worry about that in a salary W2 position. So something to prep for if anyone's listening and thinking, yeah, I just got started or I'm going to get started. In a salaried-based job, you don't worry about lost time. Mm -hmm. You might worry about lost productivity if you're trying to do a good job. You might worry about deadlines and all those things that are imposed upon you by bosses, managers, whatever. But you got paid for the time that you worked, Mm -hmm. right? So there's no lost time. But in 1099 in the entrepreneurial world on a termination, you don't get paid for that time. Mm-hmm. You don't get compensated for that time. You don't even get thanked for that time. <laughs> like, Honestly, everyone's just like, <laughs> sorry. I mean, in real estate, that's why they call it a success fee, i.e. a commission. Mm-hmm. And I think that kind of gets swept under the rug quite a bit where seven deals terminate. I, I'm just going to maybe guess that that's probably, I don't know, eight to 10 days. Like mm-hmm. if you added up all the hours on each one, mm-hmm. probably more. Mm-hmm. Actually, probably more than that because of the showings involved. I'm just thinking of the process. Just call it two weeks of work that you just don't get compensated for. So if you're listening to this and you you know you want to make the analogy, it'd be like your boss coming to you and saying, "Hey, last two weeks of this month, we're just not going to pay you. You cool with that?" Okay. Like, what? What's? <laughs> but what's also that's the hard part about that is time gives perspective mm-hmm. to yeah. all things. Mm-hmm. And we've been in the 1099 world for a long time. And one of the things I always used to remind people, again, shorter sales cycles, so different from real estate. Mm -hmm. But when you're in 1099 and you work hard, you do your best and things outside of your control happen Mm -hmm. and you don't get the results that you want. But you got to remind yourself in those moments, like the hard work always pays off. But the hard part is it doesn't always pay off when you expect it to. Right. Mm -hmm. And so if you'll stay faithful and you'll keep doing the right things for the right reasons, it always catches back up and it always pays off. But sometimes it's hard to see that in the moment when it doesn't pay off right now. Mm -hmm. And thank God that happened in year two, because if that had happened in year one. (laughs) Right. What a confidence, because at least in year two, Mm -hmm. you knew you were good. Mm-hmm. It probably still wasn't easy, but mm-hmm. if that happens in year one and you're also at that point where you're like, I don't feel like I'm very good at this yet, mm-hmm. that could be a nuclear bomb in your mental world. That mm-hmm. could be hard. Yeah. Yeah. And then I think for me, even moving into year three, a lot of these pieces have fallen into place. And I, I haven't had anything terminate this year, knock on wood, but um, <laughs> but now I've had referrals and I've had people from open houses the summer of 2021 bought a house this year. These things always do come back around. And so, yeah, yeah, doing the right work. And My buddy, uh, Brian Grayson, who's a, he might be listening. Cheers to you, Brian, if you're listening. He talks a lot similar to what you were just saying. And then you hit on it too, without even knowing it. And it's the concept of the body of work mm-hmm. rather than just the task at hand. Because if you looked at one transaction and just 
kind of stewed on that one transaction that terminated, it's like, oh my God, like, you know, it's hard <laughs> to accept that. Yeah. But what you just said was, well, over three years, you look at all three years mm-hmm. and you go, yeah, collectively, the last 36 months is pretty compelling. There was a start, there was a midsection where I kind of sped up a little bit, you know, mm-hmm. got into fifth gear. And now in year three, I see people coming back to me. I see people calling me and saying, hey, my best friend needs to buy a house. And mm-hmm. of course, I'm calling you to help. And and then that flywheel gets going, your confidence increases, your authenticity is up, your anxiety is down. Mm-hmm. So I guess what I'm driving at is, should people design that and expect that it's not about, you're not going to make your career in the mm-hmm. first year. You're not even going to make your career in the second year. Right. It's going to be third year and beyond. Mm-hmm. Is that fair? Like, is that your 100%. I mean, I think, too, like, there's a reason why most agents don't make it to year five. Mm-hmm. And I think you have to experience all of those situations and all of those challenges of having seven or eight transactions terminate in yeah. a very short period of time. So I think just me within this first a little over two years, I've experienced so much to where nothing really rattles me anymore. Yeah, I feel like anything that comes up within an inspection, within a loan situation, there are ways that we can work through it. Yeah. At the end of the day, if we can't work through it, then it is what it is yeah. and it's not meant to be. And so we just keep on moving. And I think that it really took until this year to feel like I'm not really anxious about these situations that can happen because yeah. anything can happen. And I feel like I did see so much within a short period of time that it is what it is, it is bring it, it is, on yeah. and we'll figure out a solution for it. What's great about that too, is I sense you probably saying without saying it, Hey, I don't know every possible scenario that can come up in real estate, mm-hmm. but I do know emotionally and psychologically and relationally with clients mm-hmm. how to navigate anything that comes up. Mm-hmm. In other words, there's all sorts of weird stuff 20 years in for me. And I still hear stuff and I'm like, what? Mm -hmm. I've never been down that road before. I never experienced that. never had that happen. Right. You seem to maybe have turned the corner right around year three in the sense of, no, I don't know, like technically every possible scenario, unknowable, Mm -hmm. but I do know psychologically, emotionally, and relationally with a client, what my role is, what they probably need. Mm -hmm. I don't have all the answers, but I do have a roadmap, a mental roadmap, an emotional and relational roadmap Mm -hmm. on how this should be handled. Mm -hmm. Is that Fair to say. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Cause that's probably what gives you the confidence to go. Yeah. Let's go to work and see what happens. You know, a hundred percent. And you just, within like one thing I really love about real estate is you never know what could come up in that next day. There are so many times where it's okay. I'm just having a normal day. And all of a sudden you have a listing appointment to sell a X number dollar house. And yeah. so it's like, okay, cool. Well, here's another opportunity and then let's see what happens. Or you never know when you're going to get referral that's like hey oh my gosh i have to buy tomorrow can you help me sure like you just yeah exactly so i think it's like the opposite of groundhog day can we um pull back for a second and look at the big picture of Mm -hmm. like where you've come from and where you're at now Mm -hmm. and we'll start to wind down here but talk a little bit about when you look at the whole body of work up to this point how important it was for you to have leads Mm -hmm. in order to Fast stack your relational database, but also fast stack your experience Mm -hmm. database, if Mm -hmm. that's a thing. Interesting. And then also how leads have maybe helped that even as your career has evolved and you're already getting referrals and you're already getting repeat business and your business is evolving. But I have to imagine, I don't want to put words in your mouth, 
But I have to imagine that there is a lessening of anxiety with those seven or eight terms in year two, knowing what I can always take more leads and mm-hmm. I have really far down the funnel opportunities right around the corner if mm-hmm. I need them. Mm-hmm. Right. And so just talk about what leads has meant to you. And then also one thing I want to touch on within that, if you can speak to this, I watched from a distance how you did a great job living lightly, which is our third core value mm-hmm. in your first and second years where you traveled a good amount mm-hmm. and you created time off for yourself but you still did an above average amount of transactions and volume. And when I talk to people about... By the way, above average at Thrive blew the industry out of the water. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Important distinction. Exactly. And so I often tell people when they're looking at Thrive, like because we don't work with anybody part-time, we only work with full-time mm-hmm. advisors because we're so good at leads, particularly inbound leads, you have a full pipeline all the time. Mm-hmm. The volume is turned up to 10. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of intensity. There's a lot of accountability. Yeah, there's a lot of support, but there's a lot expected of you Mm -hmm. as well. And probably one of the biggest challenges is to live lightly in the midst of striving for excellence and really challenging and pushing yourself. Mm -hmm. And I feel like you did a really good job navigating that during your first couple of years. And so can you talk about both of those things together? Just what leads meant to you and how those helped? And then also how you balanced not letting the chaos and urgency of leads just completely take over your life. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. For me to be completely transparent. If I didn't have leads, I don't think that I would have made it a year and a half in the business Mm. because I'm not the person that I want to ask anybody I know if they want to buy and sell a house. Mm. I don't want to door knock or and pass out your business. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I'm like, make sure save me in your phone for whenever you need it. You know? So for me, like just getting that experience and I think taking away the imposter syndrome, taking away the anxiety of just we have a really steady lead flow and my goal for every lead week is let me take one or two people that I have a really good connection with. And so it's sales. It's the rule of numbers where the more at-bats you get, the more chances you have to be successful. And so for me, I think just having all of those at-bats working really well with the people that I make connections with. And then, you know, ultimately helping them to achieve their goals and continuing to have that lead flow where right now I don't want an exponential number of leads, but I do want some consistency. So that way I can have a little bit more like trackable business where I know if I have six leads this week, one or two, I'd love to make a connection with. And then that'll help sustain my business down the road. Yeah. And what's funny is even as you've taken less leads, as your career's progressed, Mm -hmm. I'd have to go double check this, but I'm pretty sure off the top of my head. I want to say across the board, I think you have the best lead metrics of probably anybody in the organization Mm -hmm. in terms of like your appointment set to appointment met, to showing homes, to writing offers, Mm -hmm. to raw conversion, to Mm -hmm. transfer rates, like Mm -hmm. just across the board. I don't think there's anybody that as a whole can touch you in all of those categories. Like Mm -hmm. they're phenomenal. And so it's not even that you're just you dialed back and got complacent. It's like you dialed back, but you maintain the same level of execution mm-hmm. and the same level of integrity with your set. Like you're stewarding the leads just as well or better than you ever have, even though you're not taking this video. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that's off to you for that. Yeah. Well, thank you. I think you always think in the back of your mind, work smarter, not harder. Mm-hmm. And in the first year, just work hard. Just yeah. work hard. Just do it. Get gritty. Meet everybody. Take don't the chances. About, don't worry about work-life balance. <laughs> I mean, honestly, just go for it. Yeah. yeah. Right. By the end of year two into year three, that was when I said, okay, maybe I can set a 
few more boundaries for myself. Yeah. Maybe I can. Well, it becomes you know, more methodical. Exactly. It becomes more mappable and more predictable. Mm-hmm. Where like just a second ago you were saying, yeah, if I take six leads and get really good connected with two or three, I'm good. Mm-hmm. You're unconsciously very confident at that because mm-hmm. you know that that's going to end up leading to the goals that you've set forth for mm-hmm. yourself. Mm-hmm. You're like, I'm good with that. So let's make that happen. And it shows up in the metrics. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's awesome. Well, if I can ask one more question before we wrap up, mm-hmm. what are you most excited about next? To be honest, a lot of it is the unknown mm-hmm. of like, where are we going to go from here and how are things going to progress and shake out? And it is, it's, it's exciting. And I've got some big goals and hopefully I'll achieve them in one more quarter that we have this year. <laughs> and <laughs> so we'll see. It's just about, yeah, continuing to be strategic finally setting a little bit more boundaries for myself where I have my phone on do not disturb from like yeah. eight to eight. It's been a ride, but it goes by so fast. Yeah. I think we're all cut from the same cloth with the unknown. <laughs> we all get pretty fired up about the unknown, mm-hmm. you know, marching yeah. into the next day and uh, nobody knows what's going to happen in the future. We all have our plans, you know, we've got our mm-hmm. personal business plans as well as the, the company's business plans. And mm-hmm. you've been such a big part of it up until now. And even the listeners don't know, but you're in the, the mentor program, which mm-hmm. we're super pumped about for that. And then how that scales and grows in different roles and different mm-hmm. opportunities within the organization going forward is super fun to think about. So yeah, yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for being here. This yeah, has been, you've been awesome. Awesome. I've got two pages of notes in front of me too. So <laughs> I'm probably going to do some trainings on some of the stuff that you just shared. I have one page because I write smaller than you. <laughs> yeah, right that now. is very, that's like size eight font. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. This has been another podcast episode on the Better Life podcast and I hope you enjoyed it. Bye.